0: Our scripture passage for for preaching this morning comes from 1 Samuel. Uh, We just finished the book of Ruth uh, last week, and we're having one week in Samuel looking at Hannah's prayer. And beginning at chapter 1, verse 12, uh, hear the word of the Lord. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put, away, put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Skipping ahead a little bit to chapter 2 to Hannah's more famous prayer. She continues reading this. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him... Actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray for us as we come before God's word this morning. gracious father in heaven we come before your word needing you to use it to stir in our hearts a deep devotion to you grow us we pray encourage us strengthen us in the name of jesus we pray amen amen you know when when someone tells you that hey i'm going to start eating healthy it's not a mystery what they're trying to tell you, right? It's, you know, they're probably going to eat real foods and not processed foods. And, of course, it's a fairly big topic. You know, people actually get degrees on, on health food, believe it or not. But, but, you know, generally, you know, Taco Bell is, is not health food. You know, sorry to break it to you. Good thing David isn't here. That's maybe he would disagree with that uh, assertion. But, you know, Taco Bell is not health food. You know, vegetables and fish, those are good for you. And, you know, the problem for us in eating healthy... It's not the information. We know what eating healthy, by and large, means for us. The problem for us is the application of that information, isn't it? It's doing that thing that we know is good for us. This morning, we're going to consider the topic of, of prayer, and I think prayer is at least similar to that. And our relationship to prayer is similar. Right? We know it's good for us. We know prayer is that thing that Christians are supposed to do, uh, and when we do pray and we have those rhythms of prayer, we generally like it. We, we, like, we like those rhythms. And yet we still, probably all of us, struggle to pray. Why is that? Why do we struggle to do the thing that we know is good for us? There's probably a lot of reasons, but at least for this morning, I'm going to boil them down to, to two. I think for one, I, maybe some of us don't actually understand what prayer is. if you don't understand what something is, your expectations of that thing are going to be skewed. And so when you end up praying, it's a little bit lifeless. You're like, I guess I'm supposed to ask him for some things. You know, my mom, I should probably pray for my mom. Lord, be with my mom. Lord, be with my job. Lord, be with this thing. Lord, give me this thing. And then after a while, it kind of, you know, it's kind of a boring prayer. And so we, so we're like, okay, I guess maybe God heard. And then we go along our way feeling very unsatisfied and wondering what the point of it was. So, that's one reason why I don't think we pray, is we don't really understand what it is. And I think the second related reason that we don't pray is that we insulate ourselves from any need we have or dependence on God that we have. We don't pray because we're never actually desperate enough to pray. I think this can happen because of sin in our lives that we don't confess to Him, and so we're hiding from Him. I think it, it can also happen when we forget that every moment of your lives is actually held together by God. Every moment. He's the one that, like, holds your breath right now. He holds this building together. And so we forget that he's, he's behind everything. Every moment of our life is actually dependent on God. And when we forget these things, it actually leads us to a life of, of self-dependence, right? Where we control our own destinies. We don't need to talk to God about these things because we got it. We're fine, right? We don't need anyone's help because why would you pray if you have it all under control yourself? And so we struggle to pray. And as we consider this topic of prayer, what we're going to find is a woman in Hannah who has much to teach us this morning. She's a a woman who understands what prayer is, and she is utterly dependent on God for her life. Uh, You know, one of the reasons why I chose uh, this passage to talk about prayer was because we just finished Ruth. You know, 1 Samuel comes right after Ruth, so we're kind of in that moment. There's some relatable themes between the two. And, you know, Hannah gives birth eventually to Samuel. And Samuel is the last of the line of judges, right? This is all happening in the time of the book of Judges, right? Where there was no king in the land and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And Samuel is actually the last judge. And he anoints Saul, who's the first king. And he ends up anointing David, who follows Saul. And we come to Hannah at a time where she's having many difficulties in life. We find that she's unable to bear children and her husband's second wife would actually make fun of Hannah for, not, for, for being barren. Not a very kind person. You don't make fun of people if they can't have children. And she was bothering her year after year. And as you can imagine, it troubled Hannah. It greatly distressed her. Year after year, experiencing this uh, panina 's you know, uh, mocking her, experiencing shame of barrenness, even though her husband was a good husband by all accounts, except for the fact that he had two wives but that 's a different conversation for another time, but you know year after year, he would try to love her, he would give her double portions, it says, but he, even he couldn 't calm her tears and this is the state that she was in, desperate, distressed, undone when we come to her first of when we hear her two prayers and As we consider her prayers this morning, I think they have much to teach us about our own praying lives. And, you know, as a young, growing church, if we can succeed in only one thing as a community, I hope it's that we can actually create people who pray. And the reason why this is so essential for us is because a praying people are an enduring people, right? A praying people endure because they draw their sustenance from God. From God alone. Their security is in Him alone, not in wealth, right? Not in their children, not in their families, not in their jobs, but in God alone. A praying people know that they need God. And that's a people that endure. That's a people that are fierce. That's a people that change the world. And so if we can do one thing as a church, well, it's, I hope that we can become a praying person. And so as we consider this topic of prayer and Hannah's prayer this morning, we're going to ask just two questions the first is, you know, what is prayer? And the the second question is, why pray? Why pray? So first, what is prayer? And I think our answer from Hannah's lips is fairly profound. She says this about prayer. Prayer is pouring out your soul to God. Prayer is pouring out your soul to God. You know, when Hannah describes her prayer to, to Eli in verse 15, this is exactly what she says, right? But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. This is what she defines prayer as, pouring out your soul. All that she was is, is pouring out, you know, to, to pour out has this connotation, if, you know, if you're pouring out a pitcher, you're emptying the pitcher, right? She's emptying herself. It says her griefs, her sorrows, her vexations, fun, fun word, right? She's talking about her troubles, all that's ailing her. She is pouring out, emptying before God, offering her complaints, offering her deepest desires. You know, even in the Westminster Confession of Faith, it has a question, what is prayer? It answers it like this. It says that prayer is offering up our desires to God. This is What's happening? She's offering up her deepest desire. She's pouring out her soul. She's emptying herself before the Lord. There's this intensity to it. All that she is, all that she has, she's leaving before the Lord, withholding nothing. And this, her prayer is is bold, it holds nothing back. And what are these desires that she's asking for? What is her soul pouring out, asking for? Well, her request is pretty simple. We see it back up in verse 11. Right, she vowed a vow and said, "O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head." She's simply saying, "Give me a son. I am barren. I am your servant." She keeps on saying it over and over. "I am your servant, right? I follow you. I love you. Please honor me. Give me a son." She was barren, unable to have children, and her natural deep desire was to have a child. Right? Just like Naomi and Ruth uh, needed a son to care for them, to carry on their legacy, so Hannah wanted a son. It meant everything to her future, to her legacy. And so the interesting part of her prayer isn't that she wanted a son. That, that makes sense to us, right? The interesting part of her prayer is the second aspect. She asked for a son so that she can do what? Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Well, that's kind of strange. She asked for a son so she can give him back to the Lord. And when it says that she wants to give her son back to the Lord, this doesn't mean just like a, a dedication service, that we're going to actually gather and just pray for that child and dedicate him to the Lord, and then they go on their homes. But quite literally, he would be given to the service of God in the place of worship. You know, No razor touching his head here it speaks to the, the Nazarite vows of, of priests, that they would not cut their hair or shave their beards. And uh, she is giving her son up to the Lord. And in chapter 2, verse 19, we find out that she actually only saw him once a year. It says that she would make these little robes for him, which is kind of cool. She would knit a robe throughout the year, and then she would bring it once a year when they came to do their offerings and sacrifices. She, She would only see him once a year. This is wild. She would ask for a son that she could give him up you got to remember, much of her anxiety is coming from, right, Penina, who is bugging Hannah for not bearing children. And so it's natural for us to think, of course she wants a child, to get Penina off her back, right, to show that, hey, I'm blessed by God, I'm good. But what's her motive for wanting a child here? She wants a child. She wants to be blessed by God so that she can offer up her own blessing back to the Lord. She's giving the first fruits of her womb back to God so Prayer isn't merely offering our desires up to God, but offering them up to God so that they are actually shaped by God, right? We offer our desires up to God that they are shaped by Him. And in this, one of the things prayer does is it actually tests our desires and and shapes them. Your deepest desires matter, right? What comes out of your soul when we pour it out matters. And one of the chief purposes of prayer Believe it or not, is not to get what you asked for, but to be shaped by God, to be drawn into relationship with Him. And in prayer, our wills are transformed as we pour ourselves out before Him. Because as we empty ourselves in the presence of God, He's the one that fills us. And these things are actually shaped in prayer. And in prayer, our soul's deepest desires are transformed, and we learn to trust Him in our lives. So what is prayer? It's pouring out your soul before God that you might be conformed into his image. And the more you are conformed into the image, the more you pray and do this, actually the more your requests end up lining up with his will. The more everything you ask will be in accordance with his will. And the more they line up his will, the more you're actually going to notice everything that you pray will be answered. I don't know if you've ever known those people that it seems like every time they pray for something, it like happens when that happens, it's because that person knows the Lord intimately. They have been so transformed that they pray according to his will. And, you know, one thing we can discern about this situation, this is probably is not the first time she's prayed about this. This has been happening for years. But as she has prayed, her motivations have been transformed. And then the question is turned to us. Do you, do you do this? Do you pour out your soul to the Lord? And if not to God, who are you pouring your soul out to? Who do you turn to in times of need? Now, I imagine there's a vast array of answers to that question, even in this room. You know, some of you, I'm sure, are actually good at pouring out your souls to the Lord. You regularly do it. You, you, you bear your soul to God, but maybe God is not answering your requests the way you want. And when that happens, you can begin to, to wonder, right? And you begin to doubt in prayer, when it's... Wondering, why, why aren't my prayers working? Does God not hear me? Others of us actually struggle with the act of pouring our souls out to God. We don't do it. It's uncomfortable. It, it's vulnerable. And, and what if the answer is no? What if, what if the answer isn't good? What's the point of this? It seems like a waste of time. If God is in control, he can do whatever he wants anyways. Why does he want to hear from me? And, you know, the answer to these questions, ultimately is that we can be sure that he is indeed the God who hears and who wants us to come to him in prayer for the simple reason is because of the one that we pray to. Which moves us to the second question of why pray? Why should we pray? Because of the one that we pray to and the answer is this that, that prayer is made to the one true God who hears and acts. Right, Prayer is made To the one true God who hears and acts. You know, we we begin to see this first in in verse uh, 19 when it says that the Lord remembered her. Right? The Lord remembered Hannah. He heard her prayers and he grants her a child. He causes her to give birth to a son that they call Samuel. And, you know, it says after he's weaned that she keeps her word and brings him to the temple. And she ends up praying this beautiful prayer and, you know, there's, I think, t- two things that she points out, points out about God in this prayer that give us the why, why pray. And the, the first is this, that she points out God's sovereignty. And the second is that she points out God's ability to reverse the fortunes of his people. So first, why pray? Because the God that we pray to is sovereign. Right? We first see that this one true God is a sovereign God. Starting in verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. There's no one else like this God. He is holy. He is unlike us. He is immovable. He is the rock. God is the one of knowledge. He knows everything, and everything is weighed against him. And it continues in verse 6. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol, and he raises up. He is the Lord over life and death. He is the great cause of all causes on earth. And it continues down in verse 8. At the end of verse 8, it says, For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. I love that image, right? The pillars holding up the world. And they are the Lord's. He has established all creation and even now is holding all things together. He is over all. Nothing escapes him. Nothing is outside his rule and authority. Why can we pray to God? Because our great God is real and he is sovereign. He isn't a weak God who can't do anything. He doesn't have mouth but can't speak and eyes but can't see. But he is the one who can see, who can speak, who can hear. He's the the real one. And we come to him, at least in part because he is sovereign. He is the only one who can actually answer your prayers. He's the only one who can actually do anything. He's the one that makes barren women give birth. He is the one who ease, ease, can ease your pains. He is the one who can give you comfort. He is the only one who can bring you peace and rest. And being the, the one true God who is good, who is love, he not only hears us, but he actually acts. He is the one who can reverse the fortunes of his people. We see this in verse 1. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Sounds very different than the first prayer that she prayed, doesn't it? Right? No, She's beginning to see and experience her her mourning has been turned to joy. Her tears of, of grief have been turned to shouts of praise. She has experienced salvation that's come from the Lord. There's no one holy like him. And she continues in verse four to five: the the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven. But she who has many children is forlorn. Look, everything is being turned upside down in this prayer. Right? The mighty are are brought low, the the weak are, are made strong. The barren is made the ideal image of motherhood, bearing seven sons. Right, The one who boasts in their children is the one that's brought low. She continues, verse 7 to 8. This is an incredible picture. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ass sheep to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Right, The rich are even brought low and the poor are made rich and given seats Of honor in this great reversal there's an abundance on display god hears and he acts and he doesn't just answer your prayers he answers your prayers right more abundantly than you could imagine because of his sovereignty he knows what you need before you even ask and he's the eager father who interrupts your cries and your prayers with yes and amen so why should we pray because our god is the rock of our salvation he is the holy one He is the one who acts in this world and answers prayer. He is the only one who can. And in this, there's both a huge encouragement, I think, for us to to hold nothing back in prayer. If God can make the barren give birth and and through the barren womb bring about his kingdom on this earth, he can answer whatever request that you are bringing to him. Hold nothing back in your prayer. Be bold. And also, it shows us in this that our hope is not found in any current status that we have, right? Whether we have children, whether we, whether we want to have children, whether we're married or whether we want to be married, whether we're, we have wealth or whether we're in poverty, because what he's saying is true poverty, is not knowing God, is not knowing the God who is the God who raises us up. But someone might object, well, this sounds really nice, Craig. But what about those times when I cry out day and night, when I trust God to act, and yet he does nothing? What about then? Is he still good when he doesn't respond to my prayers? Can he be trusted to, to act? All right, this is easy for Hannah to say these things, because what happened for Hannah? Right, her prayer was answered. She got what she wanted. So how can we pray if he doesn't answer our prayers? You know, to these kind of questions, uh, there's no easy cookie cutter answers. You know, the Psalms of Laments, which are over half the Psalms in the Bible, are full of prayers not answered. Jesus himself prayed, May this cup pass from me, and the answer was no. So the scripture knows that pain, it gives us words for those pains. I think our hope in unanswered prayer remains, though, for what I've already said, because of the one that we pray to. That if he really is sovereign, then he actually knows what's best for you. Not only that, nothing escapes him. And at the end, her prayer coalesces in talking about the great kingdom that God is sovereign over. And this is a kingdom that should give us hope. It begins here in verse 9 that he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. Right? God's sovereignty is not random. It has a place. It's the world. It has a people. It's his people. It's his church. He is king over his kingdom, over all that he has made. And he is the one who guards and keeps his people. Right, much like Adam was meant to guard and keep the garden back in Genesis 1 and 2, that's what God actually does for all creation. He guards and he keeps us, the faithful ones, but the wicked he cuts off. And he continues this, some of this theme in verse 10, and this is, I think, where the, the final shoe drops. He says, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. God is the great judge over all creation, right? In our lives, in our day, we see wickedness prevail. We pray against it and nothing happens and we think, where are you, God? But the wicked may prevail for a moment. And in those moments, we might feel defeated. But the great hope is that the evil done will be judged in the end. Nothing will escape the judgment of the Lord. The wicked do not prevail. How can we be sure? Because our good and holy God is the judge. Not you, not me, but God alone, the, the sovereign one, the, the rock, our redeemer. He is the great judge, and it tells us that evil does not prevail. This is still hard for us because we're, we're, we're instant people, right? We want everything now. God works in the slow. Right? He builds kingdoms from the wombs of the barren. He grows gardens in deserts, and we can trust him in this and learn to wait because of who he is, that he is sovereign Over all things, and you know, one of the things he does here in the meantime is he actually sets up his people to begin to expand his kingdom on earth. He there's kings that Samuel anoints to rule, and they're actually meant to represent the justice of God's law on this earth. God's community is meant to present this new kingdom. At the very end, here it says, "Right, that the Lord exalts the horn of his anointed." Right, this word at the end, anointed. It means Messiah. And in this version of the word, this is the first time it shows up in Scripture, hinting that something new is about to happen. I mean, the close application is that it's, it's talking about David. Right? This word is used again when we find David anointed in 1 Samuel 16. And in 1 Samuel 16, what do we see? We see seven sons presented to be anointed, to become the next king. But they're not. This is where God says to Samuel that, you know, you man judges by outward appearance, but I judge based on the heart. All these strapping young men look fit to be king. And yet God said, no, not them. And Samuel's like, is there another? And it was the eighth son who got brought in from the field, David. An eighth son, eight is this number for new creation. Something new is happening. Everything is upside down and backwards like Hannah's prayer. It isn't the strong that's chosen, but it's the weak. And David is anointed and made king. And he was the greatest king that this world has ever seen. Only well, what do we find in David's life? Well, he too fails. Even David doesn't, isn't just, right? Even David murders and sleeps with someone who's not his wife. And in the end, his strength actually does fade, and he dies in his old age. So what do we do with this? Ultimately, what this prayer is pointing us to is the one true king, right? The one who comes and sits on David's throne, the, the anointed one, the Messiah. And we actually see this from the get-go, from the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. The, the first words, it says this. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Right, depending on the translation. Some of you say Christ, but Christ is the same word. It means Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's all speaking about Jesus, right? The the anointed one, the king, the one who, who himself calls himself the judge. He is God in the flesh. He is the great judge over all the earth. Why pray? Because he isn't just a sovereign God who is far off, ruling up on his chair in heaven, not knowing his people's problems. But he is a sovereign king who is near, who dwelt among us. He is called Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. And what does he do? But he hears the cries of his people he knows the depths of their need. And he comes and takes on human flesh and lives on this earth and tastes death on our behalf. Right? Taking our guilt and our shame on himself. Taking all our lawlessness. Right? And here at the end it says, right, the adversaries of the Lord will be broken into pieces. And this is what Jesus does for us. He takes the place of the adversary. He takes the place of the guilty one. He himself is broken into pieces on your behalf. And we are the weak. We are the poor. We are the one with no home. We are the barren one that he raises up to new life. We who were far off have been brought near. He's the one that reverses our fortunes. We've been brought near. We who were impoverished in sin are made rich in Christ He has reversed your fortunes, bringing you into the family of God, regardless of whether or not every prayer is answered the way you want. He has answered the most important prayer, which is, save me. And he has brought you into new life, into his family. And just like there's abundance in this prayer, it actually doesn't stop there, but Hebrews tells us that even now, Jesus is seated seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, interceding for you. Jesus is actually praying for you right now, interceding for you. How amazing is that truth? Taking all your tears, all your sleepless prayers to the Father. So prayer is born out of a profound trust that the God that we are speaking to and pouring our souls out to is the one true God. He is the one who longs to hear from his children, who longs to act, and in this he actually transforms us. And we can take And we can trust that whatever act he responds with, because he is the sovereign God who knows what we need. In this, we don't pray so that God will love us more. His love for you is already complete. There is nothing you could do to make God love you more than he does right now. And so prayer is born out of the realization of this truth, that his love for you is already complete, already full, not fading. So, if you struggle to pray, may Hannah's prayer guide you. And as we close, I I do want to give a couple very practical suggestions for you to help you build a habit of prayer. I'm fairly confident if I had a poll going, a a blind poll going in this room do you want to pray better? Do you want to learn how to pray? I'm fairly confident it would be 100% yes. We want to be a praying people. There's always a question, how do we do this? And so I wanna leave you with some helpful things that, that I hope will impact your life to, to begin to be able to be a praying person. I think so often, one of our problems, is we think we need to reinvent the wheel. But the church has actually been praying for a long time. And so we don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, the largest book of the Bible is a prayer book in the Psalms. You don't have to invent all your own words in prayer. Uh, you can actually stand on the shoulders of those who have come before us and use their words and make their words our words. And, you know, one of the things that I, I've uh, grown in a practice of is using what's called the Book of Common Prayer. And uh, I'm holding it up for you because this makes a big difference in the sermon that you can actually see it. So um, it's a joke. It doesn't make a difference at all. But, uh, <laughs> but what the Book of Common Prayer does is it takes you through a series of written prayers all based on the scripture. It takes you to an Old Testament and New Testament reading and a psalm reading every morning. And there's you know, there's always going to be mornings and days that you miss, and that's not the point. The point is to be drawn into relationship with God, that every moment of the day you realize you can come to him. And ha- setting up rhythms of prayer are just practical ways that draw us to remember. Because we are a forgetful people. We often forget. And often God's the last person we, we come to when we have a need. Um, and so... If the Book of Common Prayer is something that you're interested in, of using, come talk to me. It's a confusing book to learn how to use on your own. But we're not meant to do this on our own. We're meant to do this in community. So I'd love to help you if that's something that you want to use. Um, And there's a few of these I can actually email out in our regular uh, weekly email this week. But the two others I want to mention is one of them is called the Daily Prayer Project, which is something we've used on and off here, but you can go and buy it yourself. It's like a mini, mini version of the Book of Common Prayer. It takes you through scripture readings, and it has a combination of written prayer and, and prayer prompts for your own prayer life. Another resource is called the, the CBR Journal, which actually is meant to be used in community. And what it does is it takes you through an Old Testament New Testament reading and gives you this form to teach you how to pray through God's word. And the important thing is that for each of us, there might be something different that hits you that really works. This is one of those things, whatever works. Do it. Do the thing for you that works. This is not a really a cookie-cutter thing, but this is finding something that works within your rhythms, within the way you think, that draws you into God's Word, into, into relationship with Him. Uh, it's in, I think on top of that is finding someone that you can talk to about this, that can help you stay accountable, that can ask you questions. And then it's simply to start praying, to, to start to pour your soul out to the Lord. And I hope as we learn to do this that we would become a praying community, a community who sees what prayer is and longs to be transformed in the presence of God, a community that knows the goodness of God and holds nothing back from him. Let me pray for us. Holy Father, in your infinite mercy and grace, we pray that you would draw our hearts to you in prayer. That you would help us to create rhythms of prayer. Rhythms of prayer that, are, that grow so deep in our lives that they spur spontaneous prayer throughout every moment of our days. Make us a people who depend on you. By the power of Christ we pray. Amen.